0: In Ecclesiastes chapter number five, Solomon, he, he takes a break from lamenting all the problems of life. He, he takes a break from saying, I've tried all the, 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 the part of life that didn't work. I've tried uh, to build things that didn't work. I've tried to do everything. And I've, man, life's just terrible. Life's miserable, blah, blah, blah. He, he takes a break from that and he addresses a, an issue that if we're honest, every one of us either have dealt with or will deal with in our spiritual life, in our walk with God. And a lot of times, especially in Christian circles, we don't like to talk about these things. We don't like to admit that we have these issues, but Solomon kind of hits it head on. And what he talks about is going through a time of life where God seems distant, where God seems far away. And if you're here tonight and you're saved tonight and you're honest tonight you've had those times you've had those moments where you kneel to pray and it doesn't feel like God's listening where you read the Bible and you just don't get anything out of it Where you go to church and you sing the songs but deep in your heart you really don't feel it in the winter of 2014 I went through a very difficult time spiritually speaking I went through a desert time in my life and I found myself in a very difficult situation as a pastor Humanly speaking, I was pretty successful. I'd started a church, and by all accounts, it was successful. We were we were growing. Uh, we had more people coming every single week. We were seeing people get saved. We were baptizing. We were discipling new believers. If you you looked on the outside of the church, it, it looked like it was a successful, and it was. It was an incredible time uh, to be serving the Lord and. I was I, we'd purchased me and April had purchased a home uh, several years before our kids were happy. Our kids were healthy. Uh, I was married to my high school sweetheart. I loved her more than I thought I could. So on the outside looking in, everything looked great. It looked successful. It looked like God was blessing and God was. blessing. I'm not saying God wasn't. God was blessing. God was moving. God was working. But April and I had had just come out of a, a very dark time with us. Uh, not marriage-wise, we'd just we we'd both gone through a very dark valley. Uh, we'd gone through it together. It was very tough on us. And made it tougher because as the pastor and pastor's wife, no one can know, is what we thought. We were wrong. But we thought, no, we can't, we can't let anybody know this. I can't get up on a Sunday morning to preach and say, I've got a sermon to preach, but God hasn't spoke to me all week, so here's hoping. You, just, you can't do that. You do that, people are like, well, what are you doing up there then? So it was a very difficult time, spiritually speaking. Uh, We were in a very dry spiritual time. And I woke up to find that my, my faith had become very intellectual. I knew a lot about God. I knew all the right things to say. I knew all the right things to do. But Jesus felt far from me. I felt abandoned by God. I felt in a very dry place spiritually. So what do you do in that moment that when you wake up and everything you profess to believe feels far from you? What, does anyone else understand that? Am I the only one here who's honest? I mean, let's, we can all be real, right? We've all had those times in our life where it's like, I, I know what I believe, but I don't feel what I believe. I just don't feel like God's there. I know I believe... God's never going to leave me nor forsake me, but I, I sure feel forsaken. I sure feel left. And you feel very dry spiritually. What do you do when you, you know the right answer, but it's, it's not enough? And as a pastor, I would have people come to me asking me what they would do in a similar situation. Pastor, I read my Bible. I just don't feel like God's there. I feel like God's left me. What do I do? And I knew what to say. Are oh, you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you faithful to church? Are you, are you watching bad movies? I knew everything to tell them to do, but I'm telling them what they gotta do, and I'm sitting there thinking, but it's it's just it's not working for me. I found myself in the middle of preaching several times a week about answering people's questions uh, about Jesus, but feeling like I was unable to find him. So what do you do when that when that happens? And that's that's a reality. let that's a reality that we are going to face. Sometimes, multiple times in our faith journey with God, in our walk with God. And I believe, and Solomon attacks it, and I believe as believers, we need to get honest about it. I say, what do you do when you can't find God? And not when it's, and look, not, there's no open sin. It's not like, well, I've been living this sinful life, and God's for saying, you know, I can't because I got sin. I'm talking about you, you, you're doing everything right. You're living the right way. You're acting the right way. You're being faithful to church. You're doing everything you know to do, and you still feel like God's just nowhere to be found. And then on top of that, I've, had some, I've always had some, some issues in my life. And I, I don't ever try to hide my issues from you because I think it's better that I don't. I know there are some people who believe a pastor should put on a cape and be a superhero and and make you believe that every morning I get up and Jesus is right there with me saying, come with me, Sean, and I'll show you how to go do that. Don't do that. No, that doesn't work that way. That's just not how it is. We are all humans. And we need to understand I'm a human. I have flesh just like you do. You know, it's like we even look at the Apostle Paul. We look at these heroes of the faith. You know, Paul's telling Timothy, follow me as I follow Jesus. But you know what he also said? the worst sinner there's ever been. I know what to do and I still don't do it. I know what's right and I still do wrong. So if Paul, by the inspiration of scriptures in the eternal word of God, can be honest and say, man, I got some issues. I think I can be honest and say, I've got some issues. And so I feel like it's better when we struggle openly together. But I've, I've, I've always had some, some things that I did before I came to know Jesus that Honestly, I found difficult to walk away from after I found Jesus, and I wasn't prepared for that. Because I believed once you found Jesus, once you found God and accepted Christ as your Savior, all your problems went away. And look, that's true for like 15 minutes, but then minute 16 hits. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's that thing I like to do. I still kind of want to do that. And what do you do with that? How do you deal with these things when these things don't go away? Anybody else ever deal with those things? That's what I've been dealing with. And Jesus, he felt far from me. And I would have times of victory over sin and then times where sin would just come back raging. Sometimes I could, I could resist it for a while and I could control it for a while. But then always, after a while, just nagging, 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 nagging. I always would, would fall to the temptation and, get, and look at myself and go, man, I'm a Christian. How can I do these things? And it was a very difficult time for me spiritually. And in January of 2015, I had, a, I had a turnaround. I went to prayer advance. That's why I love the prayer advance. I went to the prayer advance. and This is when they had it at, 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 up in Goshen, Virginia. And you, you got away from everything. There was no cell service. There was no TVs. There was no restaurants. There was nothing. It was just you and 400 other dudes in the middle of the woods with nothing to do but talk and pray. And I loved it. And so during this time getting up to it, I, I began praying. I said, God, I'm going to this prayer advance, and I, I, need you to, I need you to do something. I basically got with God and said, God, I need you to, I need you to, to show up again. Because if you don't, I'm done. There's no point in it. And so I got alone with God, and I started talking to God. And I I dealt with these things, and I started getting to God and said, God, what do do you do when you have a sin you just can't seem to shake? What do you do when you you know all the right answers, you know all the right scriptures, you know everything to say, but it, it does nothing for you? How do you approach God when God seems so far away? And Solomon in chapter 5, he takes a break from lamenting life and he begins to unpack how we approach God when we are in the desert times. How do we approach him when sin haunts us and follows us and harasses us? How do we approach him when we we try to come to him and we pray to him and read our Bibles and we're doing everything right, but he still doesn't seem to hear us or answer us? He's going to unpack these things for what we do, and he's going to say... In the end, there's no guarantees because God's in heavens, and sometimes God ordains you to stay in the desert. So how do we approach God when we feel far from him? Well, look in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. So what's the first thing we do? Solomon says, first thing you do, number one, watch your step watch your step. That phrase, keep thy foot, it literally means, it it doesn't mean pay attention to where you're, to your steps, pay attention to your, to your, to where you're stepping. That's always good advice, especially if you have kids who like Legos and you like to walk barefoot through your house. Watch where you step. Amen. Because those things, I don't, we shouldn't waterboard prisoners. We should make them walk across Legos barefoot. I will give up any information you want for that. He doesn't mean just watch where you're stepping, be circumspect. What he means, what it literally means there is pay attention to the direction of your feet. Because here's a spiritual truth and a physical truth. Where your feet are pointing is where you're going. Unless you're Michael Jackson moonwalking. If your feet are pointing this way, you're walking that way. And so Solomon says when you when you feel like God's far from you, when you feel like you're in a desert space place spiritually, pay attention to the direction of your feet. He says, are you, are you paying attention to your feet? Are your feet pointed towards God? And that's unbelievably important, and here's why. I found in my seven years as pastoring, in my own life as well, that when dry times come to us, When trials and tribulations come, when sin begins to besiege us, the majority of us, we shut down the pursuit of God. We stop following after God because we feel dry. We feel abandoned. So if if God's not there, why even walk towards Him? And we stop reading our Bibles, we stop praying. We stop being faithful to the house of the Lord. We stop chasing after God. And so all of a sudden we go, well, this is hard. I can't find him. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do, do very little. I'm not going to do anything for myself personally. I'm gonna, I'll go to church, and man, I sure hope Sean has a good sermon. I sure hope he's walking with God, because I'm not. And hope he has something that kind of turns it around and makes it all go away. Instead of doing the things that stir our affection for Christ, we sit around and wait for the thing that makes it all go away. And look, we've all got things that, sir. Maybe, maybe it's listening to music. I have found that in my, in my dark times when I feel spiritually dry or I feel besieged or I feel attacked or I feel tempted, the thing that I can do to really get a hold of God and have God start stirring up in my heart again is I listen to good Christian music, music that makes me sing about the glories of God and how incredible he is and praise him. And when I get started, you, know, you can ask my family, I'll sit in my office and I'll have my headphones on and I am singing like an idiot. I sound terrible, but I don't care. I'm singing to my Savior. Maybe it's, maybe it's singing that kind of stirs your heart towards God. Maybe it's reading the Psalms that kind of stirs your heart towards God. Maybe it's a, a devotional book or, or a spiritual book or something you do that just kind of stirs your heart and gets you chasing after God and thinking after God. And when we go through dry times, we stop doing those things. We stop listening to music. We stop listening to sermons. And we, we wait for that one. We wait for the prayer advance that's going to change our lives. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to wait for God to show up and do some miraculous, incredible, crazy thing and let God do all the work to turn my heart towards him. And Solomon says, when you're dry, you better make sure your feet are pointed towards God. You better make sure you're doing all the things you were doing when it felt like you and God were just side by side. Watch the direction of your feet. We become event driven, book driven. We believe that the next sermon, the next conference, the next book, or the next CD, the next Bible study, that's going to be the final thing. That's going to be the thing that finally sets me free, that finally gets me in touch with God. And so we shut down everything else. And Solomon says, Hey, you better look at your feet. What are your feet doing? Where are your feet pointed? Are they moving towards the temple of God? Are you guarding your steps? Are you paying attention to your steps? Are you not walking at all or are you walking away from him? Your feet tell the direction of where you're going. When you're dry, are you pursuing God? Are you chasing God? Are you stirring your affection towards God? How do you draw close to God during desert times? Watch your feet. Solomon continues keep looking at verse number one <clears throat> keep thy foot when thou goest in the house of God <clears throat> and be ready to hear and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil here's the second thing Solomon says he goes first of all watch your feet secondly he says listen to God when you and this, this, it's, it's, it's a little funny I get it when you can't hear God Listen to God. Someone says, okay, you feel like you're in a dry time. Sin's kind of owning you. Pay attention to your feet. And then he listens to his vice here. He goes, listen, you know what you need to do. You need to listen to God. And that's hard because how do you listen to God when God feels far from you? How do you listen to God when you don't feel like you're hearing anything? Someone says, you know what you need to do? You need to listen to God. Hell, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to listen to God, but, but he's not saying much. So what do I do then? So how do we heed the Scriptures here? How do we obey the Bible here? Guard your steps. Pay attention to your feet. But here's the second thing. Here's what Solomon's saying. You eventually have to get to the point where you decide if the Scriptures are true and everything in them is true or God was just kidding. Do you believe all of the Bible or not? To draw near to listen means that we don't play a game where we barter with God. And look, we've all done this before. God, if if you'll just do this, I'll do this. Lord, if you'll answer my prayer, I'll be more faithful to you. And we try to we try to barter with God, like God needs us. Like God's like, man, what can I do to get Sean to be more faithful to church? Oh, if I, oh he says, if I answer that prayer, then I'll be four. And so we, we barter with God. And it's like my kids trying to barter with me. They don't own anything. They have nothing. They think they do, but they have nothing. Everything they own is mine. Like, well, this is my phone. No, it's not. That's my phone. I let you use it. And if I decide, I'll take it back. And so it's like my kids come in to try to barter with me. They don't own anything. I can't barter with God because I don't own anything. And too many Christians try to barter with God and say, I'll do this if you do this, and God's going, how about this? How about instead of faking it so much? How about instead of trying to manipulate me so much? How about you just be quiet and listen for a while? And, and how do you do that in dry times? Well, first of all, I think you've got to saturate your life with the Scriptures and, and take them for what they say. Believe them for what they say. You've got to kind of very humbly... Quote them back to God in prayer going, God, remember when you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me? God, I know you remember because you said it, but I just I want to remind you so that I remember what you say you're going to do for me. Draw near to listen means to place yourself under the scriptures and the promises of God and trust that they are true. That when God says he'll never leave you, believe he'll never leave you. When God says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, trust." it means, "Hey, you know what? Stop worrying about things so much and just trust that God's got everything in control. It is believing the word of God as the Word of God. Here's another thing I tell you to do. We live in an incredible age of technology. And here's what April did when she was going through her dry time. Find God saturated. Bible filled men who preach and teach the Bible and listen to them constantly. You can get them on, on podcasts, on SoundCloud, on. I mean, there is plenty. Now, look, be careful. There's some kooks out there. There's some nutballs that if I find you listening to them, I'm going to preach against you. I won't give you all their names, but, you know, Joel Olstein's one of them. Steven Anderson's another one. I'll just give you some other names. But anyway. Be careful who you listen to, but find men who, who love the God, who preach the Bible, and just constantly just fill yourself with the preaching of the Word of God. Because the Bible says the Word of God will not come back void. Just fill your life. With the word, and it's easier today than it's ever been before. Download it, listen to it, sit under the word, because there's something that happens in our heart as we sit under the word of God. When you sit under the word of God, you stop making what Solomon says here at the end of the ch- verse. Here, you stop making false sacrifices that are evil before God, and you start making real sacrifices. You know what a real sacrifice is? It's repentance. It's obedience. Those are real sacrifices. God doesn't want our kind of, well, Lord, I'll, I'll give up this, but I don't want to give up that. God wants real, genuine sacrifice. And that's what God finds pleasing, not the, well, Lord, I guess I'll go to church more. No, no, no. God wants real, true sacrifice that only comes when we place ourselves under the word of God. But look what happens, verse in XM2. Solomon says, guard your steps. Draw near to listen, put yourself under the word of God, and look at this. And the third thing he says to do is to get honest. Look at verse number two. Be not rash with thy mouth, <coughs> and let not thy tongue, not let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. God says, Hey. Do, do me a favor. Let's not worry about the eloquence of our of our our, our prayers. You know, some people when there's there was a guy I went to church with years and years and years ago. Uh, Name's Randolph Coffey, man. When he prayed, it was I mean he, he had this deep voice, kind of like Danny, kind of this deep voice. He prayed it was dear, precious Heavenly Father, and you mean he just he was eloquent, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning. And he I mean he we're like pray for the offering, and it's like. Like a 10-minute prayer, but no one cares because, like, man, this guy, man, he can pray. You know what Solomon's saying here, what God's saying here could say, let's let's forget about all the eloquence and all the, the, the saying the right things and making sure you're you're all you got your 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 T's crossed and your I's dotted in your prayers. Let's just stop with all the eloquence and how about let's just let's just get honest. Let's stop with all the pretending and all the covering. And let's just get honest with each other. How about we quit clouding your, your prayers with things that you think I want to hear? How about we get to the root of the issue? See, God is more pleased with honest prayers than he is with eloquent prayers, even if they're not exactly true. Here's what I mean by that. In the Psalms, David would pray, God, how long are you going to forget about me? Lord, how long are you going to forget that I exist? And, and God didn't correct him. God didn't say, forget you. I can't forget anything. Let me think of, what do you mean forget you? Do you not remember Goliath? Do you not remember how I helped you get the... Do you not remember everything I've done? I, God didn't, you know what, David? You're too dumb. Stay in the desert a little bit longer. God didn't punish him for that prayer. God doesn't respond that way. Instead, God draws near. So whenever, when I was in my desert place those years ago, I realized when I got alone with God that I was there because I was mad at God. I was angry at him. I'd seen April go through a very difficult time that I honestly thought was unfair and cruel. I thought God was mean to my wife, and I didn't like that. No one gets to be mean to my wife. And then he put me through a difficult time with her where I didn't know how to help or how to encourage or how to do it. And it got to the point where I thought, you know what, God, this isn't even worth it. I'm going to quit the ministry, quit everything, forget all this. I'm just out of here. And I felt, God, why did you put me in this trial? I didn't ask for it. I wasn't doing anything wrong, God. Why did you do this to me? And I was, I was mad at God. And I had to get to the place where I could admit that. And I, I got alone with God and I said, God, I'm mad at you. I know I don't have the right to be. I know I'm wrong in doing so, but Lord, that's, I'm mad. You picked on me. Now he didn't, but that's how it felt. We need to get to the point where we can get honest with God. I knew I was mad at God, but I never said it because you're not allowed to be mad at God, right? He's God. He can kill you. God, I'm mad at you. Really? Mad at me now? Well, no, because I'm in heaven. Who cares? So, But it's okay to be honest with God. So I couldn't get to the root of the problem because I wasn't getting honest about the problem. I was playing the Christian game. We don't ever want to get to the real issue. We don't ever want to pray about the real issue. And you know why? Because the real issue reveals the sinfulness of our heart. Because when I was able to say, God, I'm mad at you, I was able to see some wickedness in my heart that I thought, you know what, God, you, you should be mad at me. You, you should just squish me because I've got no right for this. And so we don't like to get honest because honest makes us get honest, not just with God, but honest with ourselves. And we like to hide things, even from ourselves. Here's the thing, you can't hide from God. When I went to God and said, God, I'm mad at you, God didn't go, I can't believe. like, finally, it's about time you admitted it. Now let's really do some work. Let's get to the root of the problem. We don't want to deal with the topic of our own sinfulness. We don't even want to consider it. So when you set yourself under the truth of God's word, it begins to flow through you. And finally, eventually, you'll get to real prayers. And real prayers... Are like this, our are, are fertile soil for the Spirit of God can move. So we got to get honest. Honest with God and honest with ourselves. But then Solomon continues. So now we get honest. He says, Third, fourthly, obey the Spirit. Look at verse number 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools... Uh, pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is he that shouldest vow not vow than he that shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. <coughs> Neither say thou before the angel that is was an error. Wherefore should God be in, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? As you sit under the preaching of God, as you saturate your life with the Word of God and the Scriptures, and you point your feet towards God, the Spirit of God is going to start to speak to you. And maybe you'll listen to a sermon, and the, the preacher will be talking about the need for community, like I preached last week, and he's, he's talking about, man, you need to get in Sunday school, you need to get in these, these life groups we do, and come to these Bible studies we do, and he's talking about this, and, and you think, man, that's what I need to do. That's the Spirit of God telling you, hey, here's how you get out of the desert. But you know what too many of us do? Man, I should do that. You know what we do? We don't do it. We ignore it. Maybe someone will mention the need for accountability and the need to get clean and confess your sin and something inside of you says, yes, I need to do that. I need to get rid of this. I need to to get clean and confess my sins. I need to have someone help me and get over this and help me conquer this. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you. That's the Spirit of God saying to you in the desert, this is the way to water. Go that way. This is the way out of the desert. Go there and get refreshed. But you know what most of us do with that? Nothing. We may, say in a, we may come to an altar and say, God, I'm going to be faithful to Bible study, and then we ignore it. We vow a vow and don't pay it. We say we're going to obey God, but we don't. We leave with good intentions. We make a vow to God, then we leave And do nothing. And look, I understand it takes a step of faith, takes a step of faith and effort to do those things. There is never a great time. I understand to confess your sin. You got sin as you look. You you've got sin in your life, and you're you're you've sinned against your wife. When's the best time to go to your wife and say, "Hey, I've uh, been looking at pornography." When's the best time to do that? Right before dinner? Before you go to sleep? Oh, five minutes before you leave for work? No, that's a terrible time. So we get sometimes. Man, it's hard. When the Spirit of God says, this is what you got to do, sometimes we look at it and say, but I don't want to do that. Because that's hard. What Solomon is saying is in that moment, when the Spirit of God speaks to you, obey the voice of God and do what it says. Is the Holy Spirit leading you out of the desert. Too many of us refuse to obey and they stay in the desert and then complain about it. We complain that God's not here, that God's up in the desert. And time and time again, God has tapped on our heart and said, Hey, here's how you get out. But we didn't want to do it. God is saying, instead of coming to the altar and making that vow, how about you just do it and obey? That'd be better than saying, God, I'm going to do it and doing nothing. God said, how about forget the vow, just do it. Forget the altar call. Forget that I'm going to dedicate my life to Jesus again. Forget all the showy stuff and just do what the Spirit of God leads you to do. How do we get out of the desert? We walk towards God. Put yourself under the Scripture and listen. Get honest with God. Obey what God tells you to do. And then Solomon continues. He goes, the last thing we've got to do is, number five, trust God. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> For in the multitude of dreams, and many words, there are also diverse vanities. But fear thou, God. Solomon ends this whole thing by saying this. He says, if you do these things, maybe you'll get out of the desert. Maybe you'll walk out of the desert, but in the end, maybe you won't. That's encouraging, ain't it? Maybe you'll get refreshment, maybe you won't. But he says, in the end, God's the one you've got to fear. What he's saying is, when you're in a desert space, if you do all the things right, and you get out great, if you do all the right things and don't get out All you have to do is trust God. Because here's an unpopular truth we have to understand. Sometimes God ordains the desert. Sometimes God leaves us in the desert. Look at the children of Israel. Forty years they wandered in the desert. Why? Because God had to kill off some things. Now, it was an older generation, because of their sin and rebellion, but God had to deal with some things before he let them go in. And sometimes it's it's not sin and rebellion that puts you out there. Sometimes God puts you out there for a reason that only he understands. Look at Hosea. Hosea was a man who loved God. He was a man who feared God. He was a man that trusted God, and God put him in the desert. God comes to him and says, I want you to marry a prostitute. Man, not a great call of God. He says, I want you to marry a prostitute, and here's what's going to happen, Hosea. She's going to be unfaithful to you. A lot. She's going to cheat on you. A lot. She's going to break your heart. A lot. She's going to leave you. And each time she hurts you, I'm going to make your love for her increase so you can't just walk away. So you can't just say, forget it, I'm done with her. You're going to grieve, you're going to hurt, you're going to sob, you're going to wail, and I'm not going to let you walk away from her. Now what is incredible about Hosea is Hosea, God tells Hosea right up front what he's going to do. You know, poor Job, he had, he had no idea what was going on. Job just wakes up one morning. His, his wealth is gone. His kids are dead. His wife's mad at him. Next day he loses his health. He's got no idea what's going on till the end of the book when God says, "Oh, Job, by the way, let me tell you what I was doing." I'd much rather be. Lord, tell me what you're. Tell me the next five years are going to stink, and why they're going to stink, and what you're doing, because I can handle a lot more if I know. Well, man, this is terrible, but but God's doing something. He told me He was doing something rather than just this is terrible. I have no idea why. So Hosea is in a very difficult, dark place. Hosea is this beautiful picture of why God leads us into the desert, especially in chapter number 2 where God explains it to Hosea. And here's what he says. He says, here's what I'm going to do with with Gomer, your cheating wife. So not only did he marry a a woman who was a prostitute had a bad past, Not only did he marry a woman who was going to cheat on him over and over and over again, he married a woman whose name was Gomer. Man, he's just this bad for Hosea. Poor Hosea marrying Gomer. Because here's what I'm going to do with Gomer, your cheating wife. I'm going to take her out into the desert. And Here's what he says. He goes, I am going to allure her into the desert. I'm going to draw her to the desert. And out in the desert, she's finally going to get tired Of herself and when she finally gets tired of herself he says I'm gonna speak tenderly to her he doesn't say I'm gonna take her out there and say shame on you you woman of ill repute I'm gonna take her out there and, and and just bash her across the head with her sin he doesn't take her out there to berate her for her sins or pile on for her for her poor decisions he says I've got to take her out into the desert I've got to take her out there because that's the only way I can kill some certain things that deprive her of water, and that that are in her life. I've got to deprive her of water. So I'm going to walk her out into the desert. I'm going to starve this thing out of her. And when she's, she's almost dying, I'm going to tenderly speak to her and increase her joy. And then he says this, and out there, when it's dry, when she's about to give up, when life's as bad as it can be and she's spiritually as parched as she can be, that's when she's finally going to learn to quit calling me master and start calling me husband. Some of you may be in a dry time, not because God's angry at you, but because God desperately loves you. Maybe you can't find him because he desperately wants you to really find him. Maybe you've been a Lord out there. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's not disobedience. Maybe it's God saying, Okay, I've got some things in your life I've got to kill. Let's go. It's going to be dry. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But I've got to do it. He may not tell you what he's trying to kill. You won't like the desert. But you need the desert. And so what Solomon is saying is if you do everything you know to do to get out of the desert and you're still there, just trust God. In the desert, he can really do a work in you that makes you stop playing games and really get God. Sometimes the desert is necessary. Sometimes the desert is exactly what we need. It's dry, it hurts, but there's good out there. There's benefits to the desert. So when you're in your desert time of life, how do you, how do you get out of it? Well, pursue God. Make sure your feet are pointed towards God. Pay attention to your feet. Draw near And listen to God. He hasn't abandoned you, so get under the preaching of the word of God. Get under the scripture of the word of God and listen to what God is saying in his word. Get honest with God. Look, stop playing games. Get honest with God and figure out the root of the problems. Obey the Spirit when he leads you out. And if he leaves you in the desert for a month, a week, a year, a decade, 40 years like the children of Israel, Trust God, because He's doing something through you and in you while you're in the desert. Trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.